Abortion, as one of our guests mentioned in this episode, is one of the oldest practices whose evidence dates back to ancient Egypt, Greece, and Rome, and also beyond that because of erasure of the histories of some communities in the world. As I was getting ready for this episode, I was curious on what are some of the initial narratives that exist out here, and so I went on and googled abortion. And some of the first results for me were abortion clinics near me, abortion procedures, abortion definition. These results for me speak to the issue of access and knowledge gap that exists on self-managed abortion. And that is why we are here on today's episode. When I expanded my search to self-managed abortion, my third result was something I found particularly relevant for today's episode, and I quote, self-managed abortion with pills opens up access for millions. This article by MSF titled A Revolution in Safe Care Abortion goes on to note that many people prefer self-managed abortion for a range of reasons, including increased privacy and confidentiality, more autonomy and control over the process and easier access, especially if they live far away from a facility that provides abortions. There is growing evidence that self-managed abortion with pills is as safe and effective as facility-based care. Talking about things that make you uncomfortable and awkward is what we do. We break the ice so that you can freely talk about them. This is Not Your Usual Subjects Podcast with your host, Quem. In today's episode, we are honored to have two guests who are in different ways caregivers in abortion care. We talk about some of the narratives and language around abortion that requires a shift. And most importantly, we are reminded of the need to center women and people who can get pregnant and abortion companions in all the narratives about abortion as well as policy conversations. We also appreciate the fact that there is a knowledge gap that exists in the topic of self-managed abortion and also affirm the idea that while abortions are complex, they can be safe and happy. In all of these complexities, we center our conversation on the fact that bodily autonomy must be upheld and that is exactly what reproductive justice is. Reverence for bodily autonomy and access to reproductive health services and information as a human rights issue. Elizabeth D, who goes by the pronouns she, they, is the operations manager for Plan C Pills, an information campaign catalyzing equitable abortion pill access in the U.S. As an operations manager, her work is really care work, as they support folks in getting the right information they need to have access to safe abortion. In addition to her abortion advocacy work, Elizabeth so, also works as the operations manager at, and at Plan C. Me. I interface with a lot of people seeking access to self-managed abortions. Uh, there have been some really major shifts that I've noticed during COVID-19 and um, and accessing self-managed abortion. In April of 2020, you know, we saw um, a lot more traffic um, on our site. We saw more interest in the the telehealth model of self-managed abortion. Um, you know, there were all of a sudden these uh, constraints built on the constraints that already existed. You know, people were losing their jobs. So people were being, you know, financially squeezed even more than they were previously. Um, you know, the 
children were not in school anymore, travel was restricted. So there were all these things that were making, um, you know, in-person access increasingly more difficult than it already was. And so this model of telehealth and being, being able to access medication abortion via telehealth, you know, really became this, this exciting option that people seemed to be able to understand more as as telehealth was kind of picking up speed at the beginning of the pandemic. Self-managed abortion in relation to reproductive justice, um, you know, the two are very, very intrinsically intertwined in many ways. To me, I think, you know, abortion is one of the oldest medical procedures that we as a society have. You know, it's it's been written about since the beginning of documented time. And so, you know, these, these practices of bodily autonomy, these practices often of community care, um, you know, have, have existed for millennia. And to think that, you know, these are new practices or are driven by, you know, societal or social trends is, is very inaccurate. Within where I'm located, some of the realities are that we have very intense, um, legal, restrictions, um, political restrictions. They're, you know, outside of SB8 um, and SB4 in Texas, we have several other big cases that will be coming before the United States Supreme Court um, in the coming months, you know, challenging Roe v. Wade and all these other various things. So there's the federal level and there's, there's also the state level. Um, there are so many things that I think need to change around, you know, these issues of of reproductive justice access and abortion, you know, we need um, child care for folks who are getting these procedures done and, um, and need, you know, help. We need financial assistance for those folks as well. Time off from work to recover, you know, all these various things um, that I think are really a right uh, and come with the idea of, of bodily autonomy services that uh, we at plan C offer and that people can access if you go to the website at www.plancpills.org, you can find out more information on how to get how to get access to self-managed and medication abortion. There you can find how to have a medication abortion with doctor assistance, without doctor assistance, and all sorts of other, you know, resources, questions about legal, medical, all various sorts of things. We don't give legal or medical advice, neither do we prescribe pills. We're really just a resource to connect folks. Yeah, my my hope is just that people know that this is an option for them, that it becomes clear um, that abortion is something that you can take into your own hands and that the word should be spread. It is so wonderful to have you on this call, Henesis. Please look at yourself, how you show up in the world, um, your full name, where you are geographically and where you are in terms of today's topic of self-managed abortion, abortion care and um, abortion access. Hi there, thank you for inviting me. So, um, Henesis Rigi, um, a Venezuelan living in Mexico City, studying in Switzerland, a little bit all over the place, but uh, that's kind of the identity that sticks with me now, my grand traveler. And I am related to the topic of self-managed abortion in 
very different ways. I normally say that people think that I do a lot, but the only thing I do is talking about abortion. Um, I do it, I'm, I'm involved with the topic from a professional lens. I am a consultant on sexual and reproductive health, but also I do research on the topic. Um, currently, I'm doing my master's thesis on constructions of knowledge surrounding abortion between doctors and uh, abort abortion companions, but also from the advocacy activist side, I'm also into this. Uh, I am part of the uh, Safe Abortion Action Fund, and it's the only fund in the world that only funds abortion. We give money so people can have their abortions in a very safe, happy, and secure way. And I am the community lead at Vitala Global. Uh, we design digital health tools for people to have more access to abortion information and abortion care. Thank you for that, Henesis. Um Especially on what you just said about abortion companion, I'll go back to something that maybe you will get right into right now, which is that you are an abortion doula. Um, could you share a bit about that? And mostly because I've heard about bath doulas recently and recently death doulas, but not abortion doulas. So how does that maybe even link to reproductive justice? That's a that's an interesting question because I think I am in the journey to become an abortion doula. Um, I am more familiar with the term abortion companion. I mean, to me, this means that you are there to make space for another person that is having an abortion, uh, that you are there to hold the space for that other person who's having the abortion to be the protagonist of the process. Uh, mostly because I, I come from all of these, I don't know, spaces, uh, different uh, disciplines. Normally you see people talking about, oh, is that abortion is a public health issue. Abortion is a social justice issue. Abortion is a legal issue. It's a medical issue. But then in all of this wording and all of this discussion, we tend to forget that it's a, you know, it's a human rights issue. And the person, the human is the one that should be at the center of it, at the center of care, at in the in the center of making the decisions regarding abortion is completely. Um, it's completely interesting how a lot of the decision making surrounding abortion is done by people who cannot get pregnant, people who are not uh, involved in the processes of reproductive justice at the community. And by this, I'm saying that a lot of decision making uh, done surrounding abortion rights is done by cisgender, white, rich men that have nothing to do with all of these processes abortion doulas and abortion companions are involved with. Um, and when you're asking how abortion, the work of abortion doulas and abortion companions relate to reproductive justice, I think it's it's the embodiment of reproductive justice. Uh, the, the history of abortion doulas and abortion uh, companions is very rich, and it's very interesting to see how a collective of women in Brazil in the 80s discovered that misoprostol had this abortifacent uh, functionality. It was not meant to be uh, an abortifacent, but it happened to be. So they took this pharmaceutical and turned it into something else and turned it into something that could make liberation work within the communities. And then, you know, the word spread. And then you have pharmacists, pharmacists uh, community health providers, 
up to the point that now WHO recognizes the use of misoprostol for safe abortion, coming from all of these um, history of community organizing. But then when you think why this community organizing was needed, it was needed because there was a neglect and that women and people who can get pregnant were completely neglected by the state. They were denied the, the right to choose over their bodies. And then they took these resources and convert them into something that can amplify this access. So if it's related to reproductive justice, yes, it's an embodiment of it, but it also should let, make us think about why this happened. Uh, it happened because of this neglect, but then at the same time, we are not being doulas and abortion companions because we want to fix the public health system. We are doulas and abortion companions. We want because we want to transform the way abortion care is is given to people. We don't want we want people to have happy abortions. That's something that uh, I always talk with one of my friends. That's also an abortion companion and abortion doula. And normally, when you want people to have happy abortions, the public health indicators don't fit this logic of having a happy abortion. A happy abortion is a safe abortion, an abortion where you are uh, accompanied. But then the public health side doesn't account for these things. Normally, they will offer you an abortion that is safe, but maybe you are not feeling comfortable throughout the way. Abortion doulas and abortion companions are embedded in reproductive justice by creating a whole new and whole different uh, care model. One that it's community-based, one that puts the person in the center and one that uh, accounts for the injustices that we live and wants to transform it into something more meaningful that can reaffirm our place in the community. So Hennessy, you're part of the co-creators of the document that is related to a rights-based messaging uh, around how to talk about abortion, as was documented by IPPF, that's International Planned Parenthood Federation. So the document talks about the stories and the narratives we could tell about abortion. What are some of the rights messaging related to self-abortion that we should could or should because I just made that up, that we could be sharing and amplifying? Ah, that's another interesting question. Um, it's It's interesting because I think one of the first things that we need to think about messaging is that People who have abortions are the ones that should be at the center. And some, and sometimes this doesn't happen. Normally what you see in the, what you see in the narratives are fetuses, embryos, babies, and people uh, trying to bring the conversation to this issue, right? Like, does the fetus has life? Does the, embryo feel pain. And I think that one of the most important things in here is bring the conversation back to the people who can get pregnant and the people who can get abortions. That's one thing that we should start from and from there start building on other uh, narratives. For example, this narrative that abortion should be prevented. Um, it's, it's interesting because Normally, they will say abortion should be prevented. Um, abortion, we don't want anyone to have an abortion. However, I think this narrative hides the fact that abortion is part of the reproductive life of people. Abortions happen 
and people have abortion not have abortions for many billion a gazillion number of reasons there's the people that has um, abortions because they want to have a baby but they economically they can't there's people that don't want they, they got pregnant and they don't want to have a kid at that moment they don't want to they don't want to continue a pregnancy at that moment there's the people that uh, when we're victims of sexual violence and they just don't want to carry on the pregnancy. So these prevention, um, these prevention focus will never account for all of the reasons people can have an abortion. So what we can um, advance as a narrative is that if you need an abortion, you need it and you deserve the best quality of care that you can have. Um, there's this other uh, rights narrative that I would love to see more of it is that if you have one more, if you have more than one abortion, that is okay. Uh, there's a lot of talking in public health uh, spheres where, where um, if someone has an abortion, you have to give them contraception right away. And if the person doesn't understand if the if the person doesn't understand or they don't want the contraceptive method, then why are you pushing for this? So it's a uh, it's again going going back to reproductive justice. Why are you offering contraception only to the people who are having abortions? Why contraception cannot be universal? Why can't we have universal access to contraception on the first place instead of targeting it to uh, groups that you think are more at risk. Um, also, another narrative that I would like to see more around is that mm, abortions can be happy, and that's fine. But then there are other abortions that are not happy, and that's also fine. And in that case, what people need or, or, or what people should have available is a companion that can guide you through that process of, of pain. Uh, mostly because I think we have been so eager to show that abortions are not traumatic that we are sort of forgetting that for some people they can be traumatic, for some people they can be a complex decision, but it doesn't mean that the process per se should be banned. What it means is that people need more companionship, people need more resources to go through it, um, and that may be the sources of these being a traumatic experiences are not within the person, but in an environment that doesn't support reproductive autonomy, that doesn't support uh, women's rights, that doesn't support uh, reproductive justice. So those are things that I would like to see. Um, a more positive light on abortion that recognizes that it can be a complex decision for some people. Um, I would like to see a narrative on abortion that recognizes it as a reproductive fact that happens in life and a focus on the people who have abortions. Thank you so much for that sharing. I also just want to amplify something that you just said, um, which is what I got, part of what I got around uh, the narratives around uh, abortion care and abortion messaging on, you know, carrying forward uh, pregnancy to full term of, uh, you know, aborting a baby um, and all of these things. So I just wanted to amplify that as one of the things that I have deeply 
rooted myself into when it comes to language around abortion because we tend to see all of these different narratives and messaging um, from public health uh, messages and all of these things. So I really appreciate that the work that you're doing is centered around shifting narratives and shifting the language to continue to center uh, folks who are looking to have an abortion and abortion companionship, which is also something that is coming very much um, in today's episode. I also wanted to um, learn more about uh, some of the exploratory work that you've done in Mexico, because I know that, um, as you'd mentioned earlier, you're Venezuelan, but you've done a bit of work, um, exploratory field work in Mexico. What has been coming up for you within that particular research, possibly before the pandemic or during the pandemic? Um, and what are some of the things that you see or what are some of the visions that are coming up uh, in the future in terms of abortion care uh, and self-managed abortion that you haven't already mentioned? Uh, yeah, I have been doing field work here in Mexico and exploring the construction of knowledge surrounding abortion among abortion companions and medical doctors. And this is, uh, I can tell you how, how this started because I think it's quite interesting. I developed an obsession with TikTok over the summer and it happened that I saw a video of a doctor saying that if you um, use misoprostol without medical supervision, then your abortion will be super complicated and they will have to take you to a clinic and make a hysterectomy. That's when they take out your uterus. That's a major, major um, surgical procedure. And I was double checking this with other uh, peers that are doctors, that are companions, and they said, no, that is actually not true. For an abortion to get to that point, you might have to have all of the contraindications for misoprostol. Maybe you ingested a huge amount of pills, and that is simply not true. So I was researching more and more in this and what doctors think about abortion, specifically self-managed abortion. And I found very interesting surveys, not done here in Mexico, but in other countries that, um, for example, there's one that is super interesting where uh, the interviewer asks doctors if they think self-managed abortion is safe. And a, a fair amount of them say, yeah, it's, I think it's safe. But then when they ask them, would you recommend it to, to a family member, to a partner, to a friend, a lot of them will say no. And this dissonance struck me as, huh, this is interesting. This I can research on this. And then I see this TikTok video on doctors saying that misoprostol is unsafe and that on top of that, abortion companions don't know what, don't know what they are doing because they are not medical professionals. Uh, then I found my problem in there, like, huh, this is interesting. So doctors have an understanding of abortion and apparently companions have another understanding of abortion. And what I'm trying to do is see what shapes this knowledge. Um, and not only for the sake of, uh, knowing where this, uh, knowledge comes, but also to build bridges. Um, because thinking about the knowledge that doctors and medical providers can have, and complement what abortion doulas and companions 
have known for a long time, we can create better and more responsive and more community-based models of care. Um, so I think that's kind of like an interesting thing. That and and it's something that gives it gives me a lot of hope in the future, to be honest. Um, to see that there are these two kinds of professionals that can complement their work and create something else, create something that we haven't seen before, maybe create compassionate models of care, happy models of care, or what, what do I know? Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I'm up to these days. I'm doing a lot of interviews with doctors, a lot of interviews with abortion companions, uh, hanging out with abortion hotlines, reading a lot about abortion. Again, it seems like it's a lot, but the only thing I do in my life is it's just talking about abortion. And findings from the field so far is uh, something that was very interesting was that um, a lot of doctors don't have a structured instruction about abortion. They know how to manage the complications that come from it. But when it comes the moment to attend uh, an elective abortion, someone that says, I need this abortion, normally abortion doulas and abortion companions know more about the procedure and about accompaniment and about reaffirming the decisions while doctors have this more clinical knowledge. So that's a preliminary finding. Uh, that's never talked about this before. So I think you have the 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 privilege to know that if that's a privilege. Definitely a privilege. Thank you so much for sharing that, um, Henesis. Uh, before we get onto the next question, which is still centered around your research. Um, so could we expand a bit about the definition of abortion companions. Um, and maybe you can also point us to where we can find resources around that, especially if, you know, personally, uh, one might know someone who is uh, looking to access uh, self-managed abortion. And, you know, we are thinking about how to be uh, a companion around that. Yeah, so... What are your thoughts on that? And what is what are the expansions of the definition of abortion companion? That's a tough one. Uh, what is an abortion companion? What is an abortion doula? That's a, that's a very complex question because I think my answer will be different to, I mean, my answer will be different to an answer that someone that has been an abortion companion for 10, 15 years might have or different from the experience someone who has had an abortion and it's also a companion might have. Um, for me, I can give you a very simple, straightforward um, definition is that is to me, for Hennessy's, someone, um, an abortion companion is someone that has knowledge on how to perform an abortion how accompanying an abortion and how to hold the space to make that abortion experience safe, um, safe, secure, and accompanied. Uh, to me, and I guess I can speak for a lot of companions in Latin America, abortion is not just a medical procedure. It's a community-bounded process. So when we are talking of abortion as a community-bounded process, we refer to the fact that abortion has a lot of implications in the social sphere. There's stigma out there, but there are also network supports. There are also social norms that shape how we think about abortion. 
So for us, that process to be an accompanied process that can address these societal and community um, processes is very important. We are, we are not there just to provide with pills. We are there to provide both information and care. And this is where care uh, complexifies because for us, care is not only making sure that you have the correct amount of pills, is that you have the correct amount of pills and you know how to, how to use them. You know what to expect. You know um, that you are being supported in your decision and after that decision and what comes next. Uh, care is also, if you need a glass of milk and cookies, we are going to bring you a glass of milk and cookies. If you want to watch a Netflix, a Netflix show when you're having your abortion, we are going to be there for asking you, what do you want to watch? Uh, what can make you feel more comfortable? That uh, for us is very, very important. That care is not only a medical thing, but also something that um, something that makes you your decision feel reaffirmed. Uh, for us, a successful abortion is not only the one that leaves you without, leaves you like, okay, you're pregnant now, you're not pregnant now, successful. But for us, it's that outcome of not being pregnant plus having an experience where you felt safe and where you felt understood and, and where you felt supported. And that has this other component of empowerment that you knew you knew what was what was happening during the whole process because normally what we see in clinics and medical settings is that you are going to get there and they are going to perform things on you we don't want that as abortion companions again that's why the, the companionment element is so important we don't want that to happen to you we want you to be aware we want you to know what's happening we want you to agree um, positively to what's happening so I think that can be my very extended explanation of my <laughs> um, definition of what's an abortion doula and what's an abortion companion. I think that as the podcast advances, you are going to have a lot of definitions to what an abortion companion is and maybe craft a new one for yourself, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love that. Um I really appreciate what you shared about abortion being a community-bounded process or practice um, and how, you know, accessing abortion can sometimes, you know, has in many times felt separate um, as this medical process that someone needs to go and get done. But I do like that we are embedding this journey or, you know, this particular process of accessing abortion as a holistic process, a process that is centered in care. And you talked about part of being an abortion companion is being able to hold the space and the different ways of being able to do that. And that is guided by the person who is getting the abortion. Um, I do appreciate your sharing around that. Around the research that you have done, Henesis, uh, what are some of the shifts that have been happening around access to abortion, self-managed abortion? Because, you know, you mentioned that 
part of your research has you listening into or being part of helpline calls and all of that. And you're also uh, where you also sit within a fund um, that also offers care by providing and giving access to financial resources to go and get uh, abortion uh, basically abortion access. So what are some of the shifts that you've seen happening during this particular period? Mm-hmm. And tying that to the decriminalization of abortion, I think between a particular state in in Mexico um, called Cucuahulia, please forgive my pronunciation, but I'm so glad that you ha- uh, you're with us here to uh, help us with that. But I wonder what's what's been coming up in terms of the shifts and what what future can we vision in terms of abortion care and what the ruling means and what the ruling can mean for Mexico and also just globally what what can we derive from that starting from uh shifts from the pandemic and covid-19 I think the most interesting shift is that people are talking more about uh, self-managed abortion. Uh, there's more coverage in the press related to self-managed abortion. Um, most recently, uh, I've seen a lot of coverage in the UK where they had this rule, and I guess someone that's from the UK can talk to you way better than, than I can. They had this ruling that um, allowed for telemedicine uh, for abortion care, and now they want to, now that the quote-unquote pandemic is kind of over, um, they want to um, retract this allowances or permits they give they gave for telemedicine abortion, and people were like, "Well, this worked during the pandemic, and we know abortions are safe. Why are you trying to get that back when we know that it works?" So that's something that I have seen. People are talking more about self-managed abortion uh, te- models of telemedicine models of um, digital health and how it can help uh, users and people to manage their own abortions. I think um, this shift to talk more about digital health and how it can help is very, very, very important. And this shift, I have seen it also in the region in Latin America, where um, platforms that provide bills by mail or uh, counseling through digital pra- platforms have been more on the spotlight. Uh, like, for example, the folks from Seek to Choose, Women on Web, Women Have Women, like these very big organizations that do very, very important work. Um, I have seen it, uh, to take the, the case of Venezuela, uh, the project where I'm currently working is... Um, is geared towards facilitating digital health tools so people can have more access to abortion information. And the project has been received with very good and positive feedback from the people that I think in other moment, people will think like, oh, no, I can just go to the clinic and have an abortion, or I can just talk to a doctor. But in this moment where access to clinical facilities, hospitals was... um yeah, it was difficult. Maybe it was a uh, an opportunity for uh, telemedicine models or um, 
accompaniment models to have an opportunity to shine. Um, also, uh, talking about the, the more legal side of things, uh, from what happened here in Mexico, I think it's, it was a court ruling that was, it's historical. It's so, so important. And it happened in a day where you just, you know, you brew your coffee in the morning, you have your breakfast and you're like, Oh, so the Supreme Court said that now you cannot criminalize abortion in any way. So this means that each state that criminalizes abortion in Mexico has to change their local constitution to not criminalize abortion. It's a very, very important decision, but it's only a stepping stone in a, in a longer road to legitimize abortion as a fact from reproductive life. Um, I'm very aware and I, and I admire the work that advocates and people on the ground activists do for these rulings to be possible. However, as abortion companions, people who can get pregnant, uh, and as activists, we should not settle just for court rulings this way. We have to celebrate these wings, but also keep working so these rulings have um, have a concrete implementation on the ground, on the ground where women and people who can get pregnant will need it. Uh, because otherwise it's just something that a judge said and it doesn't translate into increased access, quality of care, um, non-criminalization of abortion companions, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, so I guess, yes, it's important and it's historical. And that day I dance my way around the house, but we have to be consistent in that if we want abortion to be legitimized as something that happens in the reproductive life and something that is not such a big deal after all, we have to do the work of working on the ground to make these court rulings a concrete reality, that we have protocols for high-quality abortion care, that abortion medication can be affordable to people, and there's a huge and enormous community work that we have to do to shift social norms surrounding abortion. So for the region, also this means that Mexico is a really big country. It's a country that has a lot of influence in the region as uh, as Argentina last year with the, the criminalization of abortion. I think it sets uh, a precedent for other countries to think it's not impossible. It's not impossible to have these court rulings or these legal instruments that allow people to have safer abortion experiences or that um, avoid people getting criminalized for things that shouldn't be a crime in the first place. So, yeah, I think that for the region here in Latin America, the religion is mostly Catholic. Mexico is a very, very Catholic country. And if Mexico can decriminalize abortion being this Catholic, then there's no excuse for other countries to do the, to do so. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I also just want to take this moment to honor the work of the activists and the different partners who, you know, put in their energy, their work, their life into getting Mexico and the world to be part and to witness that ruling that happened and we are continuously energized but what by what was able 
rather what came to be in terms of the ruling, the decriminalization of abortion. We are energized by that. And yes, the work does continue in terms of uh, looking at having those, uh, that particular ruling, as you've said, Hennessy, uh, running deep into the different um, ways in which communities are able to shift and organize around you know, the access of abortion and abortion care. Um, and as we wrap up our conversation today, and I do not know about you, our dear listeners, but I just feel very much enlightened in terms of what I have come to learn around what abortion care and access to abortion can look like, could look like, should look like, and what are some of the different things that are happening within the landscape um, that Henesis is part of. Um, so Henesis, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with us today? And also if you have any links or resources that you'd like to point our listeners towards, we can also just ensure that we have that uh, as a link in the show notes of this particular episode. I think that something that I pulled people to think about and see how it sits with them is that we have to change the narrative of abortion of being something that it's hidden, that it's medical, that it happens in a private practice between you and one medical provider. Take abortion from that little corner and take it out to the communities. Because when we shed light on abortion, we see that it's not suffering, that it's not trauma, that it's not uh, something that's hidden and that you only share with a handful of people. When we shed light on it and we understand it as a community-bounded process, then you start to see the work of, as you said, activists fighting for the recognition of women and people who can get pregnant rights. You see the abortion companions that mostly do their work in silence because they can get criminalized. You can see the work of abortion doulas that also a lot of them are birth doulas. And then you break this myth that people who care about abortions don't want anyone to get pregnant. It's like, no, actually there are birth doulas, full spectrum doulas that can help you with your pregnant, throughout your pregnancy, if you want it, throughout your, throughout the childbirth. And they can also help you with your abortion. Like that happens when you take abortion from the little corner and put it on the spotlight as a community-bounded process. You start seeing people uh, related to it. You start seeing, for example, solidary doctors that provide safe care, even though they could be criminalized. You start seeing researchers. You start seeing the friend that brings you your favorite meal during your abortion. You start seeing all of these networks of people. And suddenly, then abortion doesn't look like a very traumatic and horrible experience, then it's just an experience that can be positive, that can be sad for people that want to have the, want to keep the pregnancy, but they can't for any reason. Then you start seeing the nuances. You're see, you're, you start seeing the that not everything is black and white. So that's something that I would like to, you know, people to think about. Thank you so much, Genesis, for honoring our invitation to be with us today and for sharing your work, your life and yourself with us today. And it was such a pleasure to have you. We 
We know that abortion is criminalized in many parts of the world. And even when it's not, there is plenty of social stigma around it. Your listening to this episode is a brave act of resistance and solidarity for many of our listeners. We see you, we hear you, and want you to know that you are not alone. And that's all we have for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's conversations and will carry the different reflections with you. Join us next time where we'll be talking about sexual orientation, gender identity and expression rights, that is SOGI rights. Until then, take good care. The support of Not Your Usual Subjects podcast comes from staff and volunteers at Stories to Action who are conjuring alongside young people situated across borders all around the world. Together, we envision a world where every young person's voice is heard on their sexual health and reproductive rights, even in times of public health emergencies like COVID-19. We would like to honor, thank, and acknowledge all our contributors and guests for sharing their stories to action. Shannet International Netherlands, who we are so deeply grateful for funding and resourcing this podcast, reminds us of the role that philanthropy in working with youth in their diversity should and can play in raising collective consciousness. Please head on over to share-netinternational.org to find your regional hub. Please commune with us on social media to find out about our next episode and share your feedback, thoughts, and reflections with us. This is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at Stories to Action. Links are available on the show notes at the podcasting platform of your choice that you listen to us from. Please share this episode with someone, awesome ones, you know should have a listen. Goodbye.